You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Well, hey, gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. So glad you guys are here today. We have a guest with us today. Gabe, Pastor Gabe Carter is joining us. So Gabe, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on. Anytime I've got something that I feel like it's just kind of a weighty issue, I go, I I think I'm just going to start a list and I'm just going to ask Pastor Gabe. And so this is one of them. So today I want to talk about the Holy Spirit and I want to really look at what scripture tells us about the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, because they're kind of tricky things that sometimes people don't rightly divide, I think. Mm -hmm. So maybe just start us off by let's just talk about the triune God and let's talk about where scripture points to three persons of the Trinity, one God, where does scripture tell us that? Yeah, you know, the word Trinity, you'll hear critics say the word Trinity is not in the Bible. So how do you get that? It's, you know, the volume of the book, scripture, the Bible gives us who God is and tells us who he is. And uh, what we get from that is understanding that he is three persons in one. And um, there's there's many places, you know, you can look at uh, the, the ending of Matthew is probably one of the better, I think, New Testament descriptions of the Holy Spirit. But you do see the Holy Spirit and the Trinity in all three uh, parts, all throughout scripture. But here, you know, it's referred to as the the baptismal formula. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard that term or that phrase. You might hear it. The Great Commission, when the Lord is sending out the disciples there in Matthew 28, it says, you know, and Jesus came and said to them, you know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you know, teaching them to observe all that have I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The key there is it says in the name, singular. It's not a plural names. It's there's, there's one name, the name of the Father of, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you see three persons with one name. Like, wait, that doesn't work. How do you, wait, uh-huh. uh, how, how, do we, how do we figure that out? Well, it's a trinity. You see it right there when the Lord sends out the disciples. And so in, in my mind, for the brevity, I think, of this, this podcast, that's a really good go-to is you see right here the trinity being spoken of in this quote-unquote baptismal formula, which isn't really a formula for baptism, but the name is God. In his name, his nature, and who he is, he is three persons in one essence. And we see that, we actually just talked about this in the name study when we looked at the name Elohim in in Genesis, right in the very first chapter of our Bibles. And it's a grammatically plural word, but it's used singular. I love that picture, that it it is showing all three of the Godhead, but one word. Yeah, and you know, when it comes to uh, the Holy Spirit, he is one that is often viewed at, you know, depending on if you're, there's some cults that look at him as, you know, just a, just a power, you know, you have the Jehovah's witness that they view him as an essence and, or just a, just a power or an energy. Or I think sometimes they even look at him as a, as a different angel, which is strange. Some cults look at the Holy Spirit in that, that way, but you know, who is the Holy Spirit? And yeah. uh, you might, depending on, you know, what church you may have grown up in or church tradition, you know, you have, um, you know, I remember growing up uh, in a kind of a Baptist sort of tradition and, you know, you didn't, he was the, the one we never talked about, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> same, same. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, God, the father, huh? And then, oh yeah, of course the Holy Spirit, but that's, we, he, we don't, we don't mention him. It's true. Yeah. 
Why do, why do you think that is in certain denominations? Like, where do we get that just slightly off? You know, there could be multiple reasons. I don't want a blanket statement. Here's the reason why. But we both grew up in those contexts a little bit. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, from our own personal experience, why do we think we saw that? I mean, partly because there's the use and abuse of the gifts. I label, uh, in, in air quotes, the gifts the Spirit will, you know, some people use and abuse those in a way that might not be accurate to Scripture. And so want to swing away from that. I do think there might be, and I'm and I'm leaning here on the side of, of being gracious towards the, that, that, that those thoughts of, you know, maybe not mentioning him is the Holy Spirit of himself doesn't speak of himself. And so you see there in, in John 14 and John 16, he, there it says he's coming to speak of Christ, to glorify Christ. So I do wonder if even in that, the Holy Spirit is speaking of Jesus, not even of himself. So there's a humility side of that. So while you don't see much described or discussed, maybe just in name in some of those, you know, Baptist church traditions. I want to lean, lean a little bit more on the gracious side, maybe because even the Holy Spirit himself isn't coming to speak of himself. He's coming to glorify Christ. And when he fills us, our response is to glorify Christ. Yeah. So I don't know. It's more of a gracious view, I think, on that and not just, and, and there are the abuses of things. And so people might swing away from, from it. So, you know, is the Holy Spirit an it? You know, you might Right. Even catch yourself saying, you know, yeah. it, and he's not. Right. Right. He's not. So he's, properly define that for us. He is a person. All throughout the New Testament, you see pronoun usage, not to get into the weird pronoun debate, but he, he, he yeah. says he over and over and over again, speaking of the Holy Spirit. He, you know, in Ephesians, it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Can you grieve an impersonal force? I don't know of anything impersonal, you know, can you grieve your pet rock? Right. Right. No, <laughs> yeah. you can't, um, but you can grieve a person. You know, in that context of Ephesians chapter four, it's talking about what we say and how we act um, towards other people. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, what we do grieves the Spirit, it grieves the Holy Spirit, God. So he is a person because of his, the pronoun usage all throughout scripture. It's never, he's never used as an it. Um, you see he everywhere speaking of, of the Holy Spirit. You also see that you can grieve him. He also teaches. Jesus said he'll teach us all things. Now you might say, well, I learned a good lesson today because of, you know, some life experience that you had or something that happened to you. But you can't really say that, you know, life, you, we, might, we might idiomatically say life has taught me a lesson, you know, but it didn't actually teach us anything. <laughs> right. We learn from our own failure or success or whatever's around us. Here, speaking of, of when the disciples were, you know, he, he said, don't even worry about what you're going to say. When they catch you, he's talking about the disciples there, when they're brought in before him, don't worry about because in that very hour, the Spirit's going to teach you and tell you what to say. In persecution, he's speaking directly, Jesus telling him, telling the disciples this. And in that very hour, here comes the Holy Spirit telling them and teaching them and instructing them. So in order for him to teach us, he has to be a person to teach us. So we, we do see him teach. Uh, he'll guide us, the Bible talks about. He convicts the world of sin. John chapter um, 16 mentions that he's, he, part of his, his role is to convict the world of sin, which is what a person does. It can, he convicts. He testifies of the Lord Jesus. If you're testifying, you are a person. So all really the, the descriptions that you see throughout uh, the New Testament, particularly, you see some in the old in Isaiah, and we can get into, get into a few of those, of the Holy Spirit, but all of those point to a person. I don't know why, but you're right. That's not something we think about. We do tend to perhaps erroneously kind of think of the Holy Spirit as more of this force and not a person. 
And it's probably because we have probably convoluted the idea of, you know, the spiritual gifts and the the work and the power that the Holy Spirit gives into thinking that it's some kind of force. And I just said it again. You just caught me. I just said it's. It's not a force. He, the Holy Spirit. And it's funny that we even have to camp out on the pronoun thing. I wonder if 20, 30 years ago, were people still struggling with that? Or if it's, we have so many issues with actually even calling God the Father and God is not a mother. God is not any of these other things. God is a he and his paternal and his fatherly characteristics are throughout scripture. And we see the same thing with the Holy Spirit. So it's a great thing that I think maybe is just even kind of crept into our our Christian Christianese a little bit of thinking of the Holy Spirit as more impersonal than he is. Yeah. And well, and, and the thing is, is it's really by him too, that we have a personal relationship with the Lord Yeah. without the spirit. Jesus said that he's going to send a helper. Remember when he's, 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 I must need, it's needful for me to leave because they're going to send another like me, a helper. You know, the, the parakletos is the, the Greek there. Um, another Greek word for him is the paraclete um, of the Holy Spirit, like him. And the interesting thing is in that um, text, when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit being one like him, there's two different Greek words that can be used when comparing. There's like of the same kind or another, it's the word another there, another of the same kind or another of something totally different. And the Greek word that's used there is another of the same kind. Jesus is saying, I'm sending another like me, a helper that's like me. And so he's comparing himself to the spirit. And with that, you know, the, the second part of this is not only is the Holy Spirit, you know, a person, the next question is, he is, is who is he then? He is God. And so we have to now define his, his deity. He's, he's actually God. And here Jesus is saying he is because he's like him. If Jesus is God, if you follow the logic in this, if Jesus is God, which he claimed to be, then the Holy Spirit is God because he's saying there's another like him of the same substance. And if he's of the same substance, the same deity, he is indeed God. Now, there's many other places where we can attribute the deity of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. You know, you can even look in the Old Testament, Psalm 139. There, yeah, it's a great psalm, and I'll read a little bit of it here if you open up. Uh, so in Psalm 139, verse 1, you know, he says, you know, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up and you discern my thoughts from afar. You search me, you search out my path. Am I lying down and are acquainted with all my ways? In other words, he's, he's omniscient. Like the, he's saying here, the Lord is omniscient. He knows all things. You know, even before a word was in my tongue, behold, you are there altogether. So now he's omnipresent right? Everywhere he's at. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You know, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? Omniscience. You know, I ascend to heaven. You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utterance parts of the sea, even there you shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So wherever you go, you know, he is there. So you're like, well, well then where's the spirit in this? How do you tie the, the spirit into this at all? So where do you see the spirit? Well, in verse seven, it says, you know, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So the implication is you can't go anywhere. Can't go anywhere. Where the spirit isn't. Because the spirit is omniscient. Mm -hmm. And if the spirit is omniscient and God is omniscient, Therefore, the spirit is God. Like you're having to follow. He's, he's, he has the same characteristics of who God is. And omnipresent. Omnipresent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to pause this here because I know we're 
in some deep theological waters and a lot of scripture. And so, you know, gals, as you're following along, sometimes I think it's easy to hear some of these things that sound like, wow, I don't really think about all the scriptures about the Trinity. Why is it even important that we know and be able to define who the Holy Spirit is? And sometimes this stretches our brains just a smidge, but it is really what I love to challenge us to do on this podcast, that we know what scripture says about things. And I understand sometimes that these are passages that I go back and I have to read these things a couple times. And I might have to listen to what Gabe is saying here a couple times, but I think that's important to stretch us and just increase our understanding of who God is. He wants to be known. And that means all of the Trinity, meaning God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I don't know, we're probably like 10 minutes in and if you're like, okay, wow, that was a lot of scripture to take in. Just keep hanging with us because I do think the familiarization with scriptures like this, it helps us to not only understand the God that we worship and serve, but then also to be able to rightly instruct our, our kids and, you know, the our coworkers and people when conversations come up about the Holy Spirit and that, oh, the Holy Spirit is a he and a person and is God. So I just had to put a little, you know, little section in here. Hang with us because I know it's a lot of scripture, but I, I think it's really important. Okay. So talking about that the Holy Spirit is God, any other scriptures that you see that that show us and kind of give us that glimpse? Or do you think Psalm 139 kind of is the best representation no, there's of that? A, there's a lot. <laughs> Psalm 139 is a great one from the Old Testament though. Okay. Because um, it ties in. You, you get to see, it, it's almost at times we can you can look in the Old Testament. It's like, where's the Holy Spirit? Now he's, he, you see the Spirit of God described all over the place in the Old Testament. But when you get to the New Testament, now you see the Holy Spirit being mentioned. Or if you're reading the King James, you get the Holy Ghost. Same thing. Same name is the idea. It's the Holy Spirit. But there are many other scriptures that speak to God's deity. So some other instances in the New Testament where you see the Holy Spirit being described as God or having character qualities of God. First Corinthians chapter 2. Now this might seem kind of weird not out of the blue, but in First Corinthians chapter Two, verse 10, it says this, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God for who knows a person's thought except for the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And so what he's saying here is that the spirit knows the Holy spirit knows the thoughts of God. And then he's relating that to saying, well, no one knows the thoughts of that person except their own person. He's using spirit in the sense, not the spirit of the person as like the Holy Spirit, but like that person, they know their own thoughts and God knows his own thoughts. And so therefore the Holy Spirit knows God's own thoughts. Therefore he is God. It's equating him to God in, in the way that he thinks and knows God. The good news is that of that is that if we know the spirit, if we know the Lord, we know God. There's such great news in all of this that we can actually have a relationship with God. And that's through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is described as a person so that we can have a relationship with God. If otherwise, it's an impersonal force that we can empower ourselves. And that's not, I've seen that nowhere in scripture. It's such good stuff because I just think it's something that we don't study what really the beauty and the amazing aspects of the Holy Spirit. We just don't study this very much. And on the opposite side of that, I think is where we often see the misuses and um, the mischaracterizations of who the Holy Spirit is. So let's talk about that a little bit on why in 2022, do we even want to talk about the Holy Spirit and meaning why am I wanting to make sure we're pointing to a good biblical context of this? It's usually because we see 
other churches or we see Christians at large or maybe even uh, non-believers just thinking Christians are really whack have a mischaracterization of who the Holy Spirit is. So where do we see things that go wrong and rein that in? Well, I think there's a lot of things that can always go wrong. You know, you can look at- Because people are involved. People, yeah, <laughs> when people are involved, we can we can err in, in many ways. Yep. We can err in total avo- avoidance, like we were talking about growing up. Just, he's just the unnamed third person of the Trinity. We're just not going to talk about him. Or he's the one that's exalted to the point where he's the, we chase after the signs and the wonders. And um, and every, anything in between, we can, we can err in that. But the good news is, is we have the Bible. The Bible, which again, to talk about the Holy Spirit as God- he wrote the scriptures. He it was spoken through him. You know, you look in the book of Acts and it talks about this. The ending of Acts, I think Paul talks about this, where the it was spoken by the Holy Spirit. We see that all throughout the New Testament. So the, the Bible is written by the Holy Spirit. So we have a, a framework, so to speak, or, you know, as we like to say at Athey, we're charismatic with a seatbelt. And that seatbelt is the word of God is the Bible, is the Holy Spirit's words right here. So how do we best know and how to, to not end up in error? Well, it, it's the word of God. Now, I think sometimes people can err in all ways. And, uh, but it's interesting that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, like not to be ignorant of spiritual things. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, I mean, it's one of those, you know, do not be ignorant verses. And it's the place, honestly, where the church tends to be ignorant. In the ESV, it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The word gifts is put there. And some of them, if you do have a, you know, a reference Bible, it might, it might not be there. It might have a little footnote down below. But the idea is just pneumatikos for, is the Greek word there for spiritual gifts and just means spiritual things, spirituals. Now concerning spirituals, I do not want you to be ignorant of. And this is where we tend to always be ignorant of these things uh, because we'll, you know, we might look at the, the more charismatic or, you know, strange gifts that we would look at and say, we'll focus on that one, you know, well, speaking in tongues. Well, there's a whole chapter on that, on, on the proper use of tongues. And we are a church, you know, that called we're continuationist. We do believe that the manifestations and the gifts of the spirit are still, you know, active today. We also believe the Lord moves. It's all according to his will. That's the whole point of that is in first Corinthians 12, he distributes the gifts as he accords to his will. You know, in verse 11, it says all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He's the one that wills it. We're not the ones that that will it and take it and make our own self powerful. So I want you to describe that practically, because I think what that can be hard, that can sound, that can sound like something that we can't necessarily put our fingers on. And and I think that this is something that actually a lot of people see in the church when they think that it's the Holy Spirit made them do it kind of thing. And that's not how it works. That's not biblical. No. Yeah. I mean, um, Bible says the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And so the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and then what? Self-control. Self-control is there. And so, yeah, you're not given over to some spirit that takes control of you and you have no control. No, no, no. You're, you should be in complete control because part of the fruit of the spirit in your life is self-control. And so, yeah, the if you view the spirit as a power, now there is power, don't get me wrong, in the spirit. <laughs> but if you view him as an, as an essence and power to empower you for your thing, you're in error. He is going to fill you and empower you as he wills for his purpose. And his purpose is always going to glorify Jesus Christ. Always. As, you know, as we read in the gospels, as John says that I must decrease, that he would increase. And when the spirit's going to empower you, it's not to glorify man, it's to glorify God. 
Yeah. There's always, there's always these things, these tests, so to speak. You know, the Bible tells us there to test the spirits. Well, I was just going to say that is such a great litmus test too. When you think about if you come away, maybe somebody goes to a church or they go to a worship concert or something, because I can't tell sometimes if it's concert or worship where those land, but they come away from that with some experience kind of thing. And I, I think that test is there to say, did this glorify the Lord? Did this elevate to an experience? What was really at work here and who was it pointing to? Right. Yeah. And, and you know, not to, again, we can err. We can throw and say experience means nothing and we shouldn't base anything on experience. No, the Lord uses experiences, but experience isn't everything either. We've got to have something that we turn to, to trust. And the Lord's building our faith, not in our experience. We walk not by sight, but by faith. And faith isn't, again, some esoteric thought of like, I don't know, it's trust in God. It's just tr simply trusting the Lord. That, that simple. And, and faith is built by reading the word, by hearing the word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And that faith is built by us understanding and knowing him because we're given who God is. We understand God, not necessarily by our experiences. I think our experiences can add color, but they can't add content. I think they can flavor your sprinkling, but they're actually not substance. And I think when we make the experience the substance or we make it the main thing, the main dish, we're going to end up in error. That's like eating cotton candy. We think it's substance, but it's really not. It looks big and fluffy, but when I eat it, it gives me absolutely no nutritional value. Well, and I think the danger in that too is then you then start translating that to other parts of your Christian walk, I think, where maybe you're reading your Bible in the morning and man, nothing leapt, leapt off the page. Nothing just hit you and you didn't have that experience with the word that morning. And so you may be left thinking, well, I guess that didn't mean anything, or maybe I shouldn't do this as much because I'm not getting that experience thing. But that's a great way of putting it. It's you're not going to get more content from your experience, but you're, you're going to just maybe get some texture and some color to the content that is already provided there in the word. But it's, it's important to keep that perspective, those lines clear, I think. I agree. You know, and, and to kind of go back to a little bit of the experience side and the gifts of the Spirit or the manifestations of the Spirit, you know, He is God. He knows the will of God. He knows the mind of God. The Holy Spirit's the one that that gives you the gifts. The Father is the one that, that apportions them to you. The Spirit gives them to you to glorify Him. And that has to be something that we be reminded of. Now, as Christians, we can sometimes, we don't even sometimes see the things, not, not to get too in the weeds on some of this, but sometimes we can say we're glorifying God and exalting Christ, but we're really just exalting ourselves. And these are things where, you know, as, as David says, you know, in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 34, you know, search my heart, O God, see if there be any wicked way within me. We need to be open and honest before the Lord in any of this. But the main point of this is to, uh, of the spirit is to point to Jesus Christ, is to, to really, because he didn't, come to glorify himself. He came and he glorified Christ. And then now he empowers us. He fills us, the Bible says. Now we can view that as, okay, now I can, you, know, you go through the first Corinthians 12 manifestations of the spirit, as we call them, because we see that the spirit manifest himself um, in different ways. We'll look at that and go, wow, man, prophecy, that would be amazing or, or healing. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's to glorify Christ. Those are mainly to glorify Christ and to build up and to edify the body. 
They're not for my own personal gain and my own, you know. In fact, there was a guy in the Bible who tried to get his own personal gain. Simon, the sorcerer, remember in the book of Acts. In fact, we have a term today, simony, comes from that. Trying to purchase, he, he gets saved, he sees these guys, sees the disciples, the apostles, you know, healing people. And he's like, ah, I want to buy that. <laughs> and then, yeah, you see him get rebuked. And so it's not something you can purchase or buy or get yourself or your own will your own making. It's the Lord's determination on it. Do you think that there is a connection between those that follow the experience with the Holy Spirit or just maybe they wouldn't even define it as being with the Holy Spirit, but just that experience movement that is happening within church, whether it's, you know, in their own walk with the Lord and in their devotion time of like, oh, I had this experience with the Lord, or if it's at a worship thing where they just felt like there was an experiencing and they, they kind of get almost like an experience high kind of thing. Like that's the thing they're going to chase. But then there's also the signs and wonders thing. Do you think those things are connected? Yeah, I, I do in the sense that it's not the chasing after signs and wonders. You know, uh, we often say at, at our church, you know, we often say that it's, you know, signs and wonders will follow. It's not chasing the signs and wonders. No, they'll follow. In fact, I was, I think it was last night, um, I was doing a devotion with my family and we were talking about how Jesus there, he had fed the 5,000 and then he walks across the water. And then, you know, the disciples, he told the disciples to meet him, you know, on the other side and he walks across the water. I love that phrase where it's like he determined to walk past him. It's one of my all-time favorite uh, phrases in the gospel because it's just like Jesus is going to walk by them on the water. Like he was just planning like no to big walk. Deal. Just it's casual fine. walk to the park. I'll meet <laughs> you on the other side. But he does these miraculous things and then they appear, you know, they get to the boat and he appears on the other end and the disciples or the the who had come down and who had eaten of the bread before noticed that the boat was gone and that Jesus wasn't there. And so they walked around from Capernaum to the other side and they see Jesus there and they're like, well, how'd you get here? So they have this, they know all these miracles are happening because they saw the 5,000. They're like, how did Jesus get across? He didn't come, he didn't stop, he didn't walk by my house, you know? And there, right after that, they've come, Jesus calls them on the carpet and said, you've come for the food. Like, we know you're here, you've come for the food. And then he says, I am the bread of life. And then he goes into, if you eat my body and drink my blood. And then those disciples who had followed him were like, I'm out of here. No way. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I am gone. And they, the, before that, he even says they're murmuring and complaining, which is funny because they're talking about the bread from heaven, which if you remember the story there in the book of Exodus, the people were murmuring and complaining the entire time through the desert. And so it's just this great parallel of all these things. But they had seen all these signs and wonders and all these miraculous things. And then when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, they're like, eh, see ya. I'm out of here. I wanted the bread I can eat. I want the bread that I can eat. I want yeah. the thing. I want the experience. I want the sign. I want the wonder. And they even ask him, what sign are you going to give? And he says, this is my, I am the bread of life. If you eat my body and drink, it's like this whole dialogue and they leave from that. So the signs and wonders didn't save anybody, didn't bring anybody to him. In fact, you know, that's where he says in, there, there in Matthew 16, like the signs and wonders will follow those who believe. It'll, they'll follow. They're not going to, you're not going to chase after them. They're things that are going to be in your wake. So let's talk about the misuses that we see of the Holy Spirit. Why do, is this either a neglected topic or an overused topic? Where do people go wrong with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you know, as I kind of mentioned before, it could be that there's too much emphasis on spiritual gifts, on the Spirit, and you're viewing the Spirit as a, this essential power for yourself. We, as a culture, are very blind to self in the sense that we are so me-centric culture. It's a major blind spot for us. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very major blind spot. And I think it would do us well to think less of self just all the time. Yeah. I think it would just really, we would do a lot better in that. And so we, we have the old man, as you know, the, the New Testament talks about, still clings to us. The old sinful flesh pulls us down, and sometimes we can kind of 
blend these things together and now focus everything on the self. It's all empowering of myself and getting myself out of things to higher levels, to higher things. We, we listen to the whispers of the enemy. He comes in and says, well, you're missing out on something. You know, that's what he did in the garden. You, you would be like God if, you know, and those lies still persist. He's still an accuser of the brethren. He's still the father of lies and he's still telling us lies. So I do think that one of the main reasons we end up in error is because we do neglect the word. We can just neglect the word and we look at other people's experiences and we might watch the YouTube video or videos, or we might talk to the friend that had the, the experience of the thing. And we go, well, that's, that's what I want. And really what we should want is more of Christ. We should really want more, more of Christ in our lives. And that's what the spirit brings is more of Christ. He's called the Holy Spirit, holy. I think we can sometimes leave out the holy part and just go, he's called the spirit. He wants us to be holy, set apart, separate, sanctified for his purpose, for him. And so we should be holy as he is holy, live holy. And in that, he's going to cause us to be holy, to live like Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing, the Bible says, speaking of Jesus. And so he's given us his spirit now to help us along the way to convict us of sin, to correct us, to treat, to teach us, to instruct us, and then to keep us walking the right path. And I think the, the word of God is the, are the words of the Holy Spirit. And so when it comes to your experiences and to the misuses, when you see something, you're like, that seems a little off, you know, slaying in the spirit, for instance, that seems a little strange. And you look in the words, like, I just don't see it in the word. I don't see that happening. Well, I can make an, ex I can make an example. It was one example, you know, there where Jesus spoke and all the Roman officials, Roman guards fell backwards like dominoes. You're like, well, they weren't saved. That wasn't a great example of that. And so when we're just looking for the experience of, of things, I think we can end up, end up in error. The other side of that is we can absolutely neglect and we can look at the Bible and say, well, I don't see what the same things that were happening in the old, in the new Testament as they are today. I don't see healings. I don't see, you know, I, all I see are the abuses. And so you can throw it out and say, I don't want anything to do with the Holy spirit because I'm seeing the, the abuses of it happening. And I think that's also just as much of an error. Yeah. We should be open to the Lord's use in our life. Your will be done on, you know, that's, that's part of how we pray is Lord, your will be done. I've had some odd things the Lord has used me in over the years that I'm like, I wouldn't do that normally. <laughs> I'm like, I can only contribute it to the Lord and I'm not doing it to the spirit. And I wasn't something, it wasn't something really strange. It was just supernaturally natural as we talk about. It's something that, you know, he's given me sort of words of knowledge at times. that I'm like, well, that seemed to fit and not to say I'm anything because it was the Lord that at the right time. Does that always happen every time I talk? Nope. Um, we've seen people healed. Now, does that mean he's always going to heal at every single moment the way that, that we want him to? No, it's his will. He's going to give a gift of healing to people. You know, we do that church at Sunday night worship. We have elders in the back. We do have the oil, as you know, James 5 talks about. Any of you who are sick, come to the elders of the church and that they may anoint you with oil and pray and that the, the prayer, you know, will, of the faithful will heal the sick. And so we just pray and the Lord does the work. And if he chooses to heal right then and there, he can. Uh, we've seen that. Well, I think that's helpful because I, I think that shows the two sides of the pendulum, really. You know, the ways we can misuse and either neglect the spirit altogether, 
just discount it and focus on the maybe the parts of the Godhead that we think we can understand better and then just leave it out altogether. Or like you said, the other side of the coin where it is all about the Holy Spirit, which then tends to lean into our experiences and the things that, but then again, those are things that are just from us usually. They're not always, I should say, things that are maybe directed from the Holy Spirit, but they could could be a little bit of both. But that is why I wanted to really look at some of these scriptures on what does the Bible really say so that we can actually look at these for ourselves. And gals, I just want to encourage you that all the scriptures are going to be in the show notes because we're defining what the Holy Spirit looks like according to the Bible. And I love that that list that you gave us at the very beginning, that the person of the Holy Spirit, you said he, he teaches, uh, he is grieved, which points to the fact that it's a he's a person that can be grieved. He convicts us, he helps us, and he testifies to Christ. And that's a great list to run through when we're trying to discern, is this the Holy Spirit? Am I understanding him rightly? Is he doing those things? Then yeah, we can we can look at scripture and and see that. Yeah, you know, the, God's not going to, you know, contradict himself. You know, even in Second um, uh, Timothy there where it says, you know, even if we are faithless, he is faithful still. You know, he cannot contradict, he cannot be anything but faithful. Like he's not going to do something that's count contrary to himself. So if what has been revealed to you in scripture, and you know who he is by the pages of the word that he said about himself, he's describing himself to you. Lo, I come to the volume of the book is written to me, speaking of Jesus. But we look at God, we look at him and his, 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 his triune being and who he is, and we go, okay, this is who God is. Now that is our compass. When we go or, you know, we're going to, or a rubric, so to speak, when we experience life, when things are happening, when we're doing things, when something happens to us, we go, well, how does this fit in with who God is? And tangibly looking, where does this fit in scripture? I think it's extremely vital and important. Otherwise we can end up, you know, I've used this example before you know, where you come up to a street sign, um, where you're in traffic, where you're three way, you know, three lanes and you're stuck in the middle lane and you can't tell if the car next to you is moving or if, if you're moving. And so you tap on the brake and you just can't feel it, but you need to look for something solid in the ground. And once you find that, cause your experience is telling you I'm moving, your experience is saying I'm, f- I am floating around. I am moving. Even though I have my foot on the brake, I still feel like I'm moving until you see the horizon or something that's solid. And all of a sudden the feeling, the experience you have stops and you're like, Hey, I'm actually, this is where I'm at. I'm actually stopped. We need the word of God at all times in our lives for this particular reason. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. He will instruct us. You might not have perfect understanding at all times. It's not what that's saying is that you're going to have, once you read the, you know, I remember thinking as a kid, reading that verse and going, well, okay, if I read this chapter, I'm going to have perfect understanding right away. I have the Holy Spirit. And I'd be like, Lord, why don't I have, have that? Well, he's also given me a mind and faculties and he's given me wisdom and he wants me to trust him and grow in that trust with him. And so trust, continue to trust the Lord. You may not understand everything right away, but continue to trust the Lord. This goes back to what I was telling, I was telling my kids last night and, you know, when Jesus there said, this is my body, you know, all the disciples left and he looked to Peter and he says, what do you say? And he says, you have the words of life. Peter didn't say, well, you know, you walked on the water and you fed the 5,000 and all these amazing things that you did. And I know but he's like, you are, you have the words of life. We have the words of life. Don't stray from them. Well, speaking of your kids, and maybe this is a softball question, but I actually think it's really helpful. You've got a few kids. Yeah. Five? Five. Five kids. What are their ages? Uh, 13, 11, 9, 6, and 3. Okay. That's quite a range. So as a dad, 
you're sitting your kiddos down to describe to them and explain to them the Holy Spirit. How would you put this in language for a 13 through a three-year-old? That's a little bit of a range. So maybe you can play with that a little bit, strike something in the middle. How would you explain this to your kiddos? Everything we've talked about? in Because, you know, kids can't sit through a podcast for 35 minutes. So y- yeah, I'd first encourage you, you don't need to in- touch everything in one sitting. You're playing a long game here. And I think if for those of you that that struggle with the like expectation of like, I need to, my kids need to understand this and you need to, I really need to teach them all things. It's okay. Teaching is a long game. It's a continual process of repetition. So little bits at a time, I would encourage you a little bit here, a little bit there. As I was just reading through the gospel of John with the kids, like little bits, when it comes up, we talk about it. And here's where it says it here. Don't need to get into the deep, the weeds. And there's times where I'll throw a question out to the older kids to have them think about, because I know the little three-year-old isn't going to last that long. So I have to know, know your audience a little bit. But it's okay to be to look at this from a very patient perspective and slowly and re- repetitively teach your kids about the Spirit. One way could you could just take time and say, hey, we're going to study the Holy Spirit this month. And you could just go through all the scriptures and look at all the different verses where it says that He is mentioned. He's a person. You can look at the Holy Spirit as a person and all the different aspects of grieving the Spirit, His personality that he inspires, he guides, he teaches, um, all those verses you could look at. And then you can turn, you know, then maybe the next night, talk about how he is God and all the verses, you know, that speak of him as God. Everything in the New Testament and Old Testament, I mean, we didn't even get into Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. You have Hebrews 9 talking about the eternal spirit. There's a lot of lot of scriptures to go into. And then you can even at that time talk a little bit about how maybe some of the, the errors that are out there in another night and say, he's not just a power because he's, you know, so little bits, I think just little bits at a time is okay. You don't need to, you know, you need to turn on the fire hose and and teach your kids these things. The Bible is not a small book. The Bible is is long and I am thankful. I'm thankful. It's not just, you know, one stanza of a poem or something, but we are given, uh, you know, 66 books to study. And in that we continue to understand the character and nature of God. So I would say slowly, but surely and patiently continue just to teach your kids the word. And I might throw in there too, you know, especially when you have a, a spread like you have, it might be something that the ones on the older side, you can even give them some of these scriptures to look up for themselves. I do kind of wonder sometimes, even in our own devotional life with the fam, it often is, this is going to make it sound worse than it is, but a little bit of a uh, spoon feeding. Here's this verse and let me, you know, give all of this as opposed to letting them learn how to even search the scriptures for themselves. And how would I look this up? And, you know, some of those basics of even just how to study the Bible, we can help our kids with being able to learn how to do those things, even on a topic that might seem difficult as the person, the Holy Spirit, and how that relates to the train God. Yeah. And ask lots of questions. That's what I do is just, you know, I mean, you see Jesus do that, ask questions, ask critical thought questions and make them think questions that might even be above them that you might think they're outside their like understanding and you might be impressed. You know, I, I know I'm a time like, Oh, I didn't really think you guys thought about that. You know? So ask some of those, ask a lot of questions. Chris likes to play devil's advocate every now and then and poke a question, which I think is great to do. It does make you think about it. Just make sure you always come back to what, you know, the word says, don't leave them with a big, you know, stirring question. I don't want to be a Pontius Pilate and say, what is truth? And then walk off. You want to be there for the one that, that points to the truth that here's Jesus. That is so true. Um, 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, Gabe, thank you so much. That was a lot of scripture, and I, but I think that's really helpful. So gals, if you're like me, you might need to listen to this one a couple times just to kind of sit with these words a bit and then maybe even think about ways that you have maybe incorrectly looked at who the person of the Holy Spirit is. And sometimes we need the word, well, we always need the word to set us right and correct course a little bit when we need it. So thanks, Gabe, for doing this with thanks us. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.